Welcome to the Dark Depth Podcast, where it goes to a place for the modern and legacy format. I'm one of your hosts, Billy Mitchell, and with me, as always, is Michael Maxson. How are you? I'm good. A little bit tired. I've had a long day. Uh, how about you? I, I'm doing pretty good. I've been living the magic life pretty pretty hardcore this past week. I, you know, playing a bunch of leagues, and I've been, uh, I edited our, I guess this is a weird time thing, I guess. I'm, I edited last week's show today and then i'm going to edit today's show later tonight i i don't know timing's weird uh but you know i, I hopefully people last week enjoyed our interview with uh, jake beardley uh, i thought it was a really cool episode you did a really great job um with that interview um but this week we have another special guest for episode 150 wild that we're at 150 at this point right yeah, I you know yesterday I noticed that this was going to be one fifty, and then I went to sleep and I forgot about it. That, <laughs> yeah, that is weird. That's fair. Yeah, it's it's a it's definitely a milestone. It's um, I think today is our three year Twitter anniversary, which or uh, X if you want to call it that. I don't know what it's actually called, but I mean if you uh, if you search Twitter dot com or put that in your um, like in whatever the bar is called, um, you still go to the same website. So. It's Twitter, until they tell me otherwise. Yeah. Uh, But I guess to celebrate, um, you know, this 150th episode, uh, we've got our good friend, the Sphere of Resistance himself, Ali. Ali on MTGL, how are you? I'm very good, thank you. I'm really excited to be back um, on one of my absolute favorite podcasts. So thank you so much for having me back, guys. Yeah, thanks for coming back. And for saying nice things, you're going to make us blush. <laughs> yeah, it's exciting because I, I, we were actually talking about this in the in the pre-show. Like I, last time you were on, I wasn't actually there. That was for was that for 100? I'm making this up. No, it no, was not 100. What, what, what was it for? Just just to talk to him. Just well, I'm obviously yeah. So we didn't just go to like braid each other's hair. I'm just trying to remember what the what episode that was. That I wasn't there for. Was I on vacation or something? It might have been really early morning for you guys because I remember it was like middle of the day for me. So maybe mm. you were at work. Probably at work. That would make sense. I think it was a weekend, though. No, definitely not the weekend because. Okay, uh, never mind. Uh, hmm. Okay, well, I have to. I have to go back in the in the archives to figure out what what I was doing, but. Either way, I'm very happy that you're here now. I get to throw some thoughts in at you, and I get to hear your thoughts about lands, which uh, every time I play against it online, I always think, oh, this is Ali's fault. <laughs> I, I've <clears throat> been throwing myself against uh, all these lands decks, and the number of times I've lost to something that I can basically trace back directly to you is very high. So, <laughs> uh, it's really good to be able to pick your brain a little bit. Yeah, thanks. I think lands have, is fairly popular now, actually. It's- uh, more than used to. Like in the beginning of the summer, we we were almost the second most played deck online because I keep track of, um, you know, Joseph Dyer. They they have this legacy data collection, uh, mm-hmm. like project, where they just uh, you know write down what everyone plays in the Saturday and Sunday challenges, and I scrape their spreadsheet. So they publish a spreadsheet every every weekend that I kind of scrape uh, into a database. And then I have like a little web app that I just run on my own computer, calculating all kinds of stuff. 
uh, like you know the win rate of all my opponents and what decks they're likely to play and all these things. Um, and I also keep track of kind of the most popular decks. Uh, and in the beginning of the summer, just before Lord of the Rings set, lands for number two in kind of the winner's meta because I keep track of the normal meta and the decks that are kind of go X2 that I call the winner's mm-hmm. meta. Um, and we were just after Reanimator. Reanimator oh. lands and then Delvers. It was really a weird uh, time to be alive, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, the the deck is definitely, especially in you know, challenges and things like that, I always expect to see one or two people on land um, with a you know a strong top eight finish. It's, it definitely is one of those decks that I don't think everyone can play it as masterfully as you do or, you know, drive as you, but it it definitely is a deck that in the right hands is a powerful weapon especially in a meta game where you're expecting you know the same sort of blue nonsense that we we come to expect on MTGO yeah i also think it takes a lot of time to you have to invest something like i lost a lot i've been playing it for over 4 4 years maybe 5 years and the first year i lost a lot like a lot so <laughs> so it's uh uh, it takes time, and I'm still learning things. Like even this, like Spear of Resistance way of playing lands. I mean, I've only done that for maybe six months. I mean, I tried it before, mm-hmm. uh, and never could never really win with it. And then, and even when I won with it, I couldn't really, I didn't really like it. Uh, and then, I don't know, like just after Initiative was banned, I picked it up again. And I just it just clicked, some like uh, I don't know it's like you know the f- uh, the five cent went down in the machine and it just clicked for me <laughs> somehow. It's it's uh, uh, but I'm sure we will talk more about that today because uh, um, it, it it is quite different play style compared to a normal lands build I think. Yeah, I'm because I'm I'm personally used to seeing sphere resistance, you know, potentially in the deck, but always in the sideboard as a, a thing you bring in against the combo decks, uh, something yeah. like that. But having it just in the main deck uh, makes a lot of you know trying to execute, you know, my I'm gonna ponder, I'm gonna brainstorm, let me cast this. Th- that plan becomes so much weaker when I have to play against sphere of resistance in game number one, yeah, uh, and game number two and three. Yeah. I think it, it's sort of uh, it's an amazing card. It, it does so much. So one is that like it almost doesn't hurt us at all, right? Because all we want to do, we 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 cast a spell on turn one, like exploration, and then we just make land drops. That's all we want to do, and then we cast the next spell when we have a lot of mana. So, so uh, and, and it doesn't stop anything f- for us. I mean, we can just play out our lands. Uh, and every deck, every deck in Legacy get, gets hurt by a spear. Like you could see, you see your opponent, they just crumble so much. It's so awkward for them, uh, and it just doesn't hurt us at all. It feels most of the time, at least. Um, and then it also grows our constructs, which I think is huge. It's like a crusade that also, you know, uh, hurts your opponent. So, so it's sort of. It speeds up our clock and and slows down our opponent's clock, so it's kind of double-edged, or it's really like, yeah, it benefits us two ways. Because mm-hmm. I think if it had been an enchantment, I don't think we would have played it. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah, I think it being an, an artifact 
it definitely is a, a boon there. And, you know, the number of, of times I've been, you know, I've been fiddling around with a couple decks um, in the past couple months, I guess. Uh, and I feel like I have to, you know, I think Meltdown is a, is a good answer, but it, the fact that it cost one more is always brutal. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I have a Brazen Borrower. I'm like, okay, cool, I can bounce... If I, if I bounce the sphere, I get to cast only one spell this turn, and then I can cast two spells next turn, or I can not take, you know, three damage from this construct, and then two damage the next turn, but I can only cast one spell, and it's like, uh it, it just puts so much... Yeah. restricts what I'm allowed to do in the game uh, so much, and this actually kind of goes into something you were talking about in your article, which is on the Pendreville.com, uh, Spherelands Primer by Ali. Uh, we'll post this in the show notes so people can check this out. Uh, it just came out yesterday as of recording this, uh, but once again, if you're listening to this on the day it comes out, about a week ago. Um, so one of the things that you talk about in the article is, uh, what is tempo? And I, well, I know that it's a, it's, a, it's a dirty word sometimes. People do not like to <laughs> talk about tempo. Yeah. Uh, I think there's a lot of opinions on what tempo is, but... Uh, how does how does what is tempo and how does it play into uh, the deck? Yeah, so uh, it's actually kind of interesting. So, so last time I was on this show, we talked about deck building because I'd just written a, an article about how to how to build your legacy deck, kind of how all the lessons learned that I've learned from from you know building decks for and brewing land land brews for forever. Um, and when that was done. I got a lot of like positive feedback, so, so I said, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna write about another major topic. So I'm gonna tackle tempo. This was maybe in November, uh, October, November last year, and I started writing. Like, I got like you know half a half a page or something, and then initiative came out, and my deck just became totally obsolete, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> like Spearlands didn't work at all, and. Um, so then I just didn't write at all, and then then it got banned. Initiative got banned, and uh, I picked up land, uh, Spearlands again, and I started writing again. And, and um, uh, here we are. So, so and actually, so then I wrote first. I wrote like a smaller article about just defining tempo and how I see it, uh, and that was quite interesting because I got a lot of feedback, not all good. Uh, a lot of people disagreed with how I define it. Um, and I think that was super interesting because, he, like, I'm not saying that I'm correct or anything, but it's sort of uh, it's interesting that it seems to, that there is a topic that everyone knows what it is, but they can't really explain it. Uh, mm. Because I asked, like, when people said, "Oh, you're totally wrong," then I said, "But why don't like? Can you explain what you mean with <laughs> tempo?" No one, no one came back. So, but I think it's sort of the most important concept. When, when you do fair versus fair magic. It's much more important than, than you know, card advantages or or, 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 or or anything like that. It's something that every fair deck has an element of tempo in it, uh, and you need to sort of understand when wh- when is it that, that you are behind on board and, wh- and when is it that is, it is okay to be behind on board and when is it that you should push to get, get ahead on board. Um, so... The way I, I kind of defined, well, maybe not me. So, so I wrote the article. I got a lot of mixed feedback. Then I said, okay, maybe I should see what someone else has written. So I found an article by Reed Duke on the mothership. 
uh, where he defines tempo. And I said, oh, damn it, maybe I should have read this before I wrote mine. <laughs> but it was really interesting. So the way he defines it, he says, I mean, it's a long article, and I recommend anyone or everyone to read it. But sort of in the beginning, he kind of gives a short uh, definition. It says, tempo is, in the most basic form, is board presence. Uh, and it's, he says that it's derived from how your creatures, lands, planeswalker, artifacts, enchantments match up against those uh, from your opponent. And he also says that we call it tempo because the way the two players jockeying for this resource dictates the pace of a game. And then I think he also says um, it's very closely related to mana and it's often but not always related to life total. Um, so I think that's a brilliant sort of short summary. So it's, it's all about board presence. Who is ahead on board? Uh, mm-hmm. And what I tried to do in my article is to try to visualize it because we just came out from this initiative winter or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. So, so what I tried to do is to say, okay, look, when you're ahead of board, you have an advantage. It's similar to an emblem because we all knew that the initiative emblem is some. It's a huge. It was a huge, huge advantage, and it was kind of obvious. People learned that okay, fighting over that emblem that was important, and if you were the holder of the emblem, you had a huge advantage. Um, so I kind of tried to say, okay, if you're head on board, you could you could visualize it by saying that okay, we have I have the tempo emblem. The problem with that is that. Say that I have a creature and my opponent doesn't have a creature, so I, I'm ahead on board. I have this tempo emblem, and I, I kind of get to walk in this temp, tempo under city, but the rooms don't do anything. Like if I attack my opponent, it does. It's not like it's only the last attack that actually does something, right? So if if I deal some damage to my opponent, I mean if they if 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 they have one life or twenty life when I die, it's, it's almost like it didn't matter. So, so you don't. It's not like with initiative where you got like a big advantage in every room. Here, it's like you walk the rooms and they don't do anything, but then the last one just wins you the game, kind of. Um, so it's 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 a bit more tricky to to maybe see why why it's an advantageous to to um, uh, to be ahead on board. But if you think about it, at least I thought about it a lot, like. Every every time that you make a play that you feel like oh this is so good, it's because it made you ahead on board. So I can give you an example like like I'm old and been playing Magic for <laughs> for a long time. So like many many years ago, people like to go like Dark Ritual, Thoughtseize, Hymn to Torek. Mm-hmm. It's like uh, <laughs> it was you know the Pox Dream Start, and then you realize that, hey actually. You didn't. You didn't get an advantage. So you 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 played. You you spent three cards and you took three cards from your opponent. You came out even. Uh, but now, everyone likes to go like grief reanimate. Mm-hmm. And they say, oh, this is so so broken. And you know, I just saw today on Twitter people saying this is the best thing you can do in Legacy. Um, but if you think about it, it's the same thing. You spend three cards, grief and the pitch card and reanimate. And you and you and you take two cards from your opponent, and you get the creature. So it's a three for three trade, very similar to Dark Ritual Thoughts is him to Torak, uh, and one is unplayable, and the other one is the most broken, best thing you can be doing in Legacy. Uh, and what's the difference? The only difference is that you got ahead on board, 
Like you took two mm. cards and you also got the creature. So why was that good? It's because you you basically got ahead on tempo. So it was a play that, that didn't just make you even, but they got you ahead. I, th- I think that's interesting too, because a lot of the, you know, from uh, the the Delver, because I've, I've been doing that exact line, you've been <laughs> the yeah. animate my grief line a lot in the past uh, week or so, but the number of times that tempo ends up influencing what people do, like, you know, I'm not going to pyroblast a brainstorm unless, you know, I can, I have lethal in one turn. Yeah. And they, you know, they have one card in hand. I, they can't draw verdict or I die. I think I'm going to pyroblast a brainstorm now. Yeah. Uh, you know, like I don't need to block this creature. Like it's only two damage, not a huge deal. I'm at 20, not a, you know, who cares? And then suddenly I'm at you know, four. It's like, Ooh, okay. I think I'm going to have to block this thing. I don't, in the the ways that it does gently push the decision and kind of uh, change those percentages about you know what is the best play why would I need to do this um, do I need to take this risk unnecessarily can I wait to play around days or do I need to just jam it in and hope that I can get there mm-hmm. um, that is definitely that it, it's not a tangible thing right but it is something that uh, because of those numbers because of those. Um, you know the, the the pressure put on by the creatures or what or whatnot. Like it is something that has to uh, has to happen, and it changes how you p- would play a game under uh, ideal circumstances. Yeah, and I think it's really hard because I think what most people uh, have trouble identifying me me as well is like when when do you when do you have to act? Like mm. someone goes turn one Delver. And I'm thinking, that should I wasteland them, or or should I kill this? Try to kill this Delver, and then, or should I play around days? Uh, so it's sort of, uh, I, I think a lot of people act too fast, and a lot of people act too slow. It's really hard to find the balance, and I see that's when I play Spearlands, which because the main tactic for Spearlands, I call it a tempo strategy, but it's maybe more like an aggro, prison aggro strategy, but it's sort of. A lot of people, when they play against lands, they think, "Okay, I need to have, uh, I need to have many lands because they will destroy all my lands." That, or maybe, maybe I need, um, you know, th- they they will outgrind me, so I need to, you know, make a play that makes me favored going long. Where I don't play like that at all. Like I, I play maybe Mox Diamond, Ursa Saga, Spear of Resistance on turn one, and I just say. Please don't have a wasteland. Please don't have a wasteland. That's all <laughs> I'm thinking. And then my like death and taxes opponent, they go wasteland pass. And I'm like okay. So then I make my second land drop, and then they go like I don't know, Richard on port uh, either while. And I'm like okay, I just won this game because like like they made the play that will get them advantage, turn eight, mm-hmm. and I'm gonna win by turn three or four. So it's so, so sort of. Um, I think may- maybe that's also why Spearlands is doing so well now. I think a lot of people also misunderstand how how the, that it's really an aggro deck and and not uh, um, like maybe you don't need to to uh, have that many lands because I'm not gonna destroy this. <laughs> I'm not gonna focus on destroying your lands before turn four probably because mm-hmm. the first three turns I just want to make constructs. So it's sort of. Um, yeah, it's it's interesting, but I'm uh, I like learning these like aggro or tempo patterns because it's uh, 
yeah, it's new for me, so it's sort of um, it's fun. It, it is interesting hearing you talk about lands as a, as an aggro deck because in my mind it's always just a control deck, right? I'm, yeah. I'm used to the punishing fires, shooting down my my one toughness creatures. I'm used to uh, you life and loaming and getting back the wastelands and just you know slowly grinding me out of the game. So hearing lands this historically slow, well paced deck uh, as a as an aggro deck is just a, a very uh, a weird paradigm shift. yeah it's very it's very um boggling it, it's it's kind of funny like we um uh it's not uncommon that i just go ursa saga on turn one uh, pithing needle name wasteland which is sort of uh uh like you would think like two years ago i would think i was insane if i made that play uh, but here it's kind of like Ursa Saga is just so powerful that your opponent's wasteland are often better than than, than mine. So it's sort of uh, uh, yeah, I, especially if I have like a hand because this is another thing. Like if you look at the Spearlands list, uh, we play very few uh, green sources. I think we mm-hmm. play like nine, maybe I think maybe ten. Uh, but I've seen like. The person that kind of didn't, he, maybe he didn't invent the deck, but he was the first one that really adopted this way of playing. His name is Daniel Peretz from, from Denmark. Uh, he's played like, you know, eight or seven green sources and three That's or four so ancient cute. tomb. Uh, and it's sort of, you know, people always pick on me, like good players like Jarvis. He always says, you play way too few green sources. But the thing is, I don't use green mana before turn five maybe so so if you if you have ancient tomb and ursa saga you don't need green mana you just go uh, ursa saga turn one pithing needle name wasteland then ancient tomb make a construct make a construct then you can find mox diamond uh with from ursa saga and you can cast life from the loam or whatever but it's sort of um you, you if uh, you don't need as as many green sources if you don't intend to to cast green spells early uh, and this is another big difference I think from normal like classical lands builds like the best hands uh, with r- red green lands it used to be like exploration you would need two green sources or two colored sources you would go like exploration another land cost, cost gamble find life from the loam discard life from the loam and then you would kind of hope that the loam would, would uh, find you anything you needed whereas mm-hmm. This is not like how, how I play Spearlands at all. Um, like I really, like I really, really want Ursa Saga or Corporation for Ursa Saga in my opening hand. That, that's uh, that's the most most important. And and then Life from the Loam. It's sort of yeah, it's the backup plan. If some, something something went wrong or the first construct didn't get through, that's when you that's when you loan them back kind of. And and you can always know that Ursa Saga will find you a Mox Diamond, so it's sort of, you will have green when you intend to use it. It definitely is interesting uh, once the, kind of the engine gets going, um, the first Saga, you're like, okay, I can like, I, I can deal with the one construct, okay, I, I guess I can kill the second one, that's not a big deal, and then you're like, okay, well this can't get any worse, and it's like, oh, I'm gonna go get Expedition Map, I'm gonna go get another, <laughs> another yeah. Saga, it's like, oh no. Yeah. Alright, well, <laughs> I'm out of answers. Uh, <laughs> It's it's it is really interesting how this deck is 
able to snowball. Um, and kind of like you were saying, this is, I don't know if you remember this actually from uh, Duels of the Planeswalker, that, like, that, uh, that, that game they had before. But there was like a challenge where you would play against an opponent who played a Squadron Hawk. Every turn, it was just another Squadron Hawk, Squadron Hawk, Squadron Hawk. Mm-hmm. And that challenge was somehow very difficult. <laughs> um, even And those were just 1-1 flyers, right? Like yeah. it's, It was, it's always a blocker or it's always an attacker. It's hard to get a profitable attack because they can just, like, you know, triple block your creatures. Um, cop trucks are a lot harder to kill than 1-1 <laughs> than birds. Yeah. Um, you know, these, especially in this build uh, with the Mox Diamonds and, you know, the Sphere of Resistances, the Comptrucks are very easily 3-3s or 4-4s. Um, I mean, if you if you go Mox Diamond, Ursa Saga, Spear of Resistance, then on turn 3 you're going to have two 5-5s, right? Yeah. So it's sort <laughs> of, so and your opponent will have a 1-drop if you're if you mm-hmm. on the play. that Because th- this is... Um, Maybe now we're jumping around a bit, but it's sort of uh, kind of the reason why I think tempo is so important for understanding spear lands is because if you look at what have we done, like what's the difference between spear lands and a normal build? It's it's actually not that many cards. Like we just all we did was to uh, cut punishing fire uh, and for spear of resistance, and then we cut. Groove or what's it? Groove of the Burn Willows for Ancient Tomb uh, and Yavimaya. So more, more two or three copies of Ancient Tomb and, and then more copies of Yavimaya. So it's sort of that's it. Like all the other cards are, are the same, uh, but it's fundamentally changes because when when you don't have removal, in a way it's kind of makes it easier to play because you don't have removal, so you know that you cannot fall behind. Because if you fall behind, you're just dead. Like, like the way I define like a control strategy is that you let your opponent cast something, and then you see what that is, and then you decide what to do. Uh, but that's like if you do that when you play Spearlands, you will lose a lot. Because if your opponent casts a Magus of the Moon, you're just dead. You can't do anything. Or if they cast, you know, Knight of the Reliquary, or if if they get to resolve anything, it's gonna be there. There's nothing you can do. So, so the only way, um, the only way for you to to answer this thing is to have a board state where they don't matter, right? So if someone casts Knight of the Reliquary on turn four or five, and I have like four constructs, then it's not going to matter. Uh, but it's sort of a, so, so that's that's kind of a mentality when you start playing you you need to know okay the first three turns i'm not gonna care what my opponent does uh, i i'm just gonna make sure that i'm ahead so and I, it's like almost like playing um solitaire or you, like the first three turns is like okay of course i care a little bit like is, is this something that will kill me like like next turn is this something i can stop mm-hmm. but it's otherwise i don't care that like, okay they play that they do that as long as they don't wasteland my Ursa Saga, then it will be fine because, yeah, it, it, I'm I'm actually so what I'm doing by by g- getting uh, ahead on board, I'm actually forcing my opponent to react to what I'm doing, right? So if I have two five fives or you know three six six constructs, 
they have they, they cannot use their mana to, to progress their own plan they have to spend removal somehow and there's not there it's very little few removal that actually uh, it gets you out even versus Ursa saga I think because Ursa saga is basically a tree for one so you, you need dress down or meltdown those are the only two and people don't really play them in the main deck I think maybe dress down a little bit but um, yeah, Driftstone actually shows up in some some of the you know Uro piles. Yeah, uh, but yeah, I've never seen a meltdown anywhere <laughs> no. in the main deck intentionally, at least. So it's sort of uh, and, and people play very few sweepers in Legacy. So it's sort of and trading spot removal versus Ursa Saga. It's like it's a losing battle, I think. Um, so, so the only way you stop it is you, you ki- like that's when I play against uh, Ursa Saga decks, like for example uh, eight cost. So eight cost is interesting because they their constructs are bigger than mine. So it's kind of the only matchup where my Ursa Saga is worse than theirs. So there, it's just I know if they get to activate at once, I'm dead. Mm-hmm. So it's just like I have to save my wastelands, uh, my force of Wiggers, everything to stop that Ursa Saga from getting two counters. Um, and that's how people should should play against lands as well, I think. At least game one, because uh, the card is just so, so powerful. The only way to really uh, stop it is the first turn that is in play, I think. Yeah, I mean, even even if you do happen to have, uh, you know, you, you're on the play, you play the Saga on one, turn two, you make a construct. Um, if my second turn <laughs> is just getting rid of your Urza Saga, I still feel like I'm behind. Like, yeah. It, it does not feel good to, for that to be like my, you know, quote-unquote golden line there. So I definitely see that. The You were kind of mentioning this before about you know, the deck is wants to be ahead once we get to turn three, and um, if, it's, if it falls behind, it's kind of difficult. Uh, you do have things like Blast Zone, uh, Beseju, uh, Maze of It. Yeah. Uh, I think Caracas, too, in this metagame, too, has been um, you know pretty strong. But also Tabernacle, Tendril Veil. Like, you do have a couple cards that hopefully help slow down your opponent. Yeah. I, I Yes, I do. I think I have... Yeah, I mean, Blast Zone is really good against... But it, I also think this meta is interesting because, yes, Blast Zone is usually, like... Well, there are a couple of things. So Blast Zone used to be the way that I... It's like the sweeper, right? So it's the way I would mm-hmm. beat, like, you know, elves or whatever. But that type of deck doesn't really exist now, I think. Like, combo elves. I I've, I mean, it must be years since I played versus <laughs> that, that deck. So it's yeah. sort of... Um, uh, and then I do have Maze of It. I, I think Maze of It is still super needed. Uh, mm-hmm. Because I mean, I think one of the best cards in Legacy right now is this uh, Cycler Troll of uh, I oh, don't gosh, remember. Yeah, yeah, it's just uh, so uh, powerful. Loomed. Yeah, curtain thing. Yeah, because it's unblockable. Uh, but it's, so so it's mm-hmm. I mean, it kills you in three swings and it's unblockable. So yes, you do need some some sort of, but still like a maze of it. It's still much better than uh, Punishing Fire or, or even a Swords to Plowshares, I think. Because um, first, it's uncounterable, which is nice, but it's also, mm-hmm. you, you just, it, it doesn't get taxed by Spear. 
Yeah. So you you can I can progress if I have expiration I can progress my kind of plan and also have the maze because doesn't cost mana in that sense at least mm -hmm. doesn't get taxed. Yeah, that is a, definitely a huge benefit and the the amount of time it buys you uh, uh, as a Delver player. Uh, I've landed an 8-8 Murktide plenty of time, and then I'm just like, I'm just going to die to this maze of it. <laughs> yeah. like, I just, I'm going to buy you like five extra turns, and in the meantime, we're going to be playing Saga, making constructs, and eventually I'm going to be chumping. Yeah. Uh, it, it definitely is you know, really impressive how that card uh, allows you to extend the game uh, when it needs to be extended, uh, or to allow you to dig for that, that answer you need. Yeah. Another kind of removal spell that I've use a lot like it's funny enough like uh tabernacle tabernacle use also is the way that you punish people from trying to go wide uh, mm -hmm. but i use it actually less now because first of all i, I have a lot more creatures myself uh, mm -hmm. but also i found that uh, shadow spear kind of does the same mm -hmm. like if i'm if i'm facing a deck that just clogs the board with small dorks then Shadow Spear will do the same because it will make sure that I get through because of the trample, uh, and it will also make sure that I win. They can't swing back because, uh, or they can, but it doesn't matter because I gain so much life. Uh, mm -hmm. And also, when with Maze of It, I can attack, get through, get some life, and then Maze my own construct and hold it back as a blocker. So then they can't really attack. It's kind of like having a batter skull. Um, which is kind of cool yeah. because you can use Maze also aggressively, which I also do that a lot against Delver. So I attack with Merit Lage, they jump block, and then I, um, to play around Wasteland from them, I just Maze my own Merit Lage, uh, mm -hmm. and then they can't really attack me back. Yeah, it makes it very, very difficult. I've, I've gotten, I've been on the unfortunate end of being uh, Merit Lage with a Shadow Spear on it too. Which <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> definitely, definitely helps. It um, does help a lot, uh, even like <laughs> against like, you know the I call it orcs, the new elf deck. Mm -hmm. uh, they play you know endurances and stuff. So actually, shadow spirits just it's a, like it helps a lot to get through. Also, when people play baleful strix, which they don't really do anymore, but it helps get through. But also, it mitigates ancient tomb. Which I think is really important because we we will deal ourselves like ten damage probably eight to ten damage. Also, if, especially if we play Sylvan Library uh, mm. and Ancient Tomb. So you really, I think we really need that. That life game is so good. Yeah, I played against somebody at the I can't remember the the FCG in Baltimore. I think a couple like a month or so ago, and they. I did you know exactly what you're talking about? They went uh, turn one sphere. They went turn two activate my saga. Turn three activate my saga. And I was like, okay, I I've got a little bit of pressure. I've got some uh, DRCs online. I can attack. I think they got down to like two life, and mm. then they ended up winning the game at like 32. And I was like, I just don't know what happened. I feel like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I was ahead here at some point. Um, but it's you know it, it they're able to really just grind out value. I mean, and that's. I think one of the the biggest, I guess, most fair things about Ancient Tomb is the fact you're losing two life. Uh, I'm used to seeing the uh, red Stompy deck, right? Um, you know, they're able to play a Blood Moon on one, whatever. Um, 
They have the City of Traders, right? And City of Traders, well, very powerful card, obviously. Um, but having to sacrifice it very often in that deck uh, makes it obviously a little bit more fair. Mm. Uh, but having the two life, eventually you get to a point where it's like, okay, well, I'm at I'm at seven. I don't have a chalice, so if they lightning bolt me and lightning bolt me again, I could die. So maybe I just don't activate when I'm at seven life. Uh, yeah, I guess not. Uh, it having the ability to gain life and actually keep your cards um, active later into the game is, is just huge. Yeah, I think it's some something I noticed as well is um, against the other ancient tomb decks is is because um, just pressuring the, their life total is kind of a way to beat their own ancient tomb as well in a sense because. Mm. Uh, a lot of them, they go like, yeah, so they will ramp out something like the ring, the one ring or whatever. Uh, but if, if you get them low enough and wasteland their other lands, then you kind of, you don't have to wasteland the ancient tomb because when they're low low enough, then they then they um, they can't use them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's sort of um, something I always think about because naturally you would say, okay, actually I, I should wasteland the ancient tomb because it gives them two two lands. It might be better to wasteland the other land because um, at least if 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 you have a board presence, you, their ancient tomb will die pretty soon, actually. Um. And that's that's actually interesting too, because in the in the red stomping mirror, I'm I kind of prioritize getting. A, like a rabble master into play just so I can pressure their life total for the same reason. I want to make yeah. sure that their ancient tombs are worse than my ancient tombs, and if I'm on the play and can make their life total low, then mine are better. Yeah. Um, and this kind of does the same thing, right? You're using that the ancient tomb and leveraging the these large, you know, potentially five five constructs. Yeah. Uh, in order to you know make it so your opponent does not want to activate things or even like you know activate fetch lands or. Um, you know, cast reanimate. I don't want to lose six life to get a troll if I'm going <laughs> to take yeah. uh, you know ten damage from constructs. That sounds bad. Yeah, yeah. Um, I th- I think just being aggressive. Which what I learned is that it answers so many things. Like another card that was super hard for for lands was Sylvan Library. Like mm-hmm. your opponent resolved Sylvan Library and you had basically lost the game because you could we couldn't remove it and we would just get buried. Uh, but now, with Spearlands, you don't really care a lot of the time because, it, again, if you if you your plan is to end the game by turn four, and they spend their third turn casting Sylvan Library, if you have a spear, it sort of uh, did nothing, and they can't really pay life for it anyway because they're going to be so so low. So it's sort of uh, it's an interesting what just having a board presence means that you don't need removal a lot of the time because the cards just don't work even the one ring like yes it, it's it, it's one time work but then it pretty soon becomes a liability also because I can find pithing needle with with uh, Ursa Saga so it's sort of uh, even if they get to draw three cards if they're low enough on life then uh, it can be really awkward for them okay so this is like Sort of on topic, sort of off topic. Yeah. But you, you've now mentioned the One Ring twice. Yeah. And it's got my brain working. Have you tried the One Ring in lands? I have not, no. It's, 
Um, it might be good. But I, yeah. I'm just thinking, like, playing that with, like, Exploration or the much spicier Mana Bond, like, I, I'm just imagining going, like, tap my one ring, draw six cards, in return, Mana Bond, <laughs> put five lands into play. Like, yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, okay, so a couple of things. So, so first, in lands, you don't have a way to reset your ring, right? So you don't mm. have a way to, unless you play Donate or <laughs> or uh, that red, red, red Donate. Like, you don't have a way to uh, make it disappear. So you would need some life gain, I assume. Maybe you can mitigate that with Euro or something, or Sheldon or... But, but you would need some sort of life gain, I think. And the other thing is, you can't play Spear of Resistance then, because it's already four drop. Like mm-hmm. even Crucible gets hard to cast, I think. So it has to be a totally different build, um, which might still be good. I mean, but it's just I ended my kind of primer on Spearlands because a lot of people, like the last month or two months, people always ask, "What's the stock lands list?" Which I think there isn't a stock list. Uh, because it's too few players playing the deck, so so I don't think there's a stock stock list. But they all they've asked me like, is Spearlands going to be the most popular version? Uh, and I th- I'm pretty sure that it will be the most successful lands build going forward. And the reason for that is because when you when you build a normal lands or like the one ring lands that you, that you talked about, you you will just have to accept that combo decks you're just not going to be favored against combo at all like you will be the a huge underdog and then maybe you can try to fix that with your sideboard but the problem is that um you need answers to blood moon you need answers to magus of the moon so it's sort of you don't have that many uh slots to dedic- dedicate to combo so what i did in my article about deck building uh, i said okay so when i build lands decks i just choose two combo decks and those are the ones that I can beat, or not beat, but be even against. And the rest I'm just going to concede. Uh, and if you do that, it's just going to be much harder for you. Like, it's going to be much harder for you than if if you play Spearlands. Your combo matchup is probably pretty 50-50, I would say. Because game one, you're not unfavored anymore. You're probably even, and it might even improve for your post-sideboard. So it's sort of... Uh, um, and what I noticed was that you don't really lose much against the fair decks. Like you're better against control decks, uh, and you're equal against the mid-range creature decks, and you're worse against Delver. That's the only that's the only archetype that you're actually worse. So it's sort of a uh, yeah. Every, every time I I like people come up with good ideas for, for building like you know eight mulch type of of decks or these they just go over the top of, of any fair decks I, I just don't think you need it and you will just overall i think you will be worse unless you hit like you perfectly predict the meta game and say okay maybe the only combo deck is reanimator and you put you know a lot of hate for that deck and, and then you just crush everything else then of course yeah you will have a, a good time but I, I just think it's hard to to predict these things um it's not impossible, but I think it's harder than than just having a more even matchup spread. Does that make sense, or? Yeah, no, that, that's all. It all makes sense. It's all totally fair. 
you know, my hopes and dreams have been crushed. Uh, so <laughs> I am sad, but that's but you, okay. you know what? You know what? When Daniel showed me Spearlands, that was uh, June uh, last year. So we played because he, he goes to the same local game store as me. So I, I almost never go there. So I went there to practice because we had like a 5K tournament coming up here. Uh, and and we were both like 3-0 you know, in, in this four-round Tuesday Legacy Night. And we played against each other. And I said, I don't understand why you put Spear in the main deck. I simply don't understand it. You, you're going to be such an underdog versus Delver. How can, like, it's the most popular deck. How can you, how can you do that and then he beat me uh, and then he won the 5k <laughs> tournament <laughs> uh, and I was just I still didn't get, get it I was like yeah you just got so lucky like you probably didn't face green white depths how can you even think about beating them and he said well he beat them twice in the 5k and he, and he even said like the only creature I care about is Magus of the Moon it's like uh, uh, and of course that was an exaggeration because you do care about like green-white depth is a really hard matchup for spear lands but the thing is it's also a really hard matchup for normal lands so I don't think you actually lost much because uh, it was so bad from, from the beginning um, and then it took me nine months before I actually started playing it so it's sort of maybe in you know Next time I'm on in a year, I'm going to be talking about the One Ring Lands and why it's so good. <laughs> Written a primer. About it. Uh, you you kind of mentioned this uh, in passing too, but your the green white build is kind of like the the go to build in your mind right now. Um, yeah, is the green red version is is still playable though, right? Yeah, I think. I mean, I think. So what I wrote in my primer is that. I think both green red and green white are uh, like super good. You just have to choose which decks you you want to be better against. So green red, then you're going to be better against Moonstompy uh, because Moonstompy is all about Magus of the Moon. So uh, so you want your removal to be able to cast under Magus of the Moon, right? Because mm. the way you beat them is that you let them resolve Magus, then you get Dark Depth. And then you kill Magus and, and summon your Merit Lage. That's sort of how you um, uh, how you beat that deck. And if your removal costs white mana, it gets a lot harder. Because before it was like a two-card combo. And now it's like a three-card combo. Because you need Mox Diamond, Dark Depths, and Sword Supplier. So I think it's a lot harder to to assemble. So I think Moonstumper gets worse. Or gets better with green-red. Uh, Jeskai Control gets uh, better as well because Pyroblast is really good against that deck. Uh, Sneak and Show gets also better. Cephalid Breakfast, uh, Doomsday, High Tide. I mean, High Tide is actually starting to pick up a bit now with Mind's Desire unbanned. So mm-hmm. uh, there are there are decks where Pyroblast is really good because um, that's the only reason to play red, I think. Uh, and then green white is better against Delver. It's better against Death Shadow. Um, it's better against green white depths. It's better against Reanimator and the other ancient tomb decks. So like this mono black Stompy and the red white initiative. So anything that plays big creatures, because that, I mean the only thing you splash for is do you want Pyroblast and Lightning Bolt or do you want Sword Supplies? Right. Those are really the only uh, non-green, non-colorless. Uh, spells that we play so it's sort of uh, 
it's a, as easy as that. And I like green right now because of I think the best fair decks is these um, reanimator, uh, grief, uh, troll decks. And against those, I, I really want sword suppliers because uh, that troll has really impressed me. I think it's it, it's super awkward if if you have like a red green build with lightning bolt and endurance, you're not you're gonna die to that uh, troll. Yeah, especially as a once again, I think unless you have that that fast start where you're able to get the constructs online pretty quickly, uh, so you're able to beat down. It, I think it's a hard, definitely a hard fight. Yeah, f- for Delver, you mean or. Yeah, yeah, for yeah. for Delver, yeah. Yeah. Another thing is what I've noticed. Maybe this is just like people have to learn against how to play against green white lands. But a lot of decks, they are they are used like so. When I play against someone online, I guess most people know that I'm going to be playing lands. So, and I see they keep like hands that would one for three themselves to get some sort of you know big creature out. And hope that that would be enough, and then I just remove it with one mana, and my <laughs> hand is full. It's like even like reanimator, like they never go for Grizzlebrand against me. They always go for Archon, and mm-hmm. then maybe they three for two themselves, and I can just kill the Archon with Source Blasters. If I hadn't had that, I would have like there's no way Red Green Lands can beat an Archon. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's yeah. I'm, Starting to <laughs> appreciate Swords of Plowshares, which is you know funny because it's uh, I've played leg I've played Magic since Ice Age, so <laughs> I should have appreciated that card maybe already. But well, well, a, a card I'm not sure if you appreciated it when it was originally around. Uh, that you kind of alluded to before too is uh, Mind Desire, which you know recently just got unbanned. Uh, we're seeing it show up in a ton of different decks uh, yeah. between. High Tide, we're seeing it in Storm, uh, we're seeing it in... Are you calling that deck Mississippi River? Is that what the people are calling that one? I think yes. that's what people call it, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, I've been seeing Mind Desire in that deck as well. Like It's it really showing up all over the place. Um, that This has to just be good for you, right? Like I feel like playing the deck with four main decks, fear of resistances, and people trying to do High Tide nonsense yeah. is probably pretty good. Yeah, I, I mean... If people play more, I think Storm is a favorite matchup for Spearlands. Because game one, they can't beat the Spear of Resistance. Maybe High Tide can potentially, uh, but it's going to be super awkward. And Normal Storm can definitely not. Um, So, uh, yeah, I'm super happy. And Mississippi River, (laughs) that deck, I can't see how you could ever lose with with Spearlands against that. Like, they play lands they're non-basic and come into play tapped and then they want to resolve like a six mana spell against like the wasteland spear of resistant deck i mean i've only played against it once and i actually lost one game because the second game Hmm. they can actually go off on turn two which i didn't know like post sideboard they have some line with the uh there's some not the yeah there's a cascade spell I don't remember how it worked, but it was basically a four mana spell, and okay. I choose to not wasteland their land because I thought it was a six mana. Uh, but yeah, I won mm-hmm. game three, so it didn't didn't really matter. It, I think you, it's almost impossible to lose that matchup. I mean, nothing mm-hmm. is impossible, but but it, you know you you can have a mulligan to nothing, but it's sort of a, 
if you just have any of your any of your wastelands or spears, I don't see how they can ever go off. Um, but I also, I think Mind's Desire. I'm, I'm not, I mean, another card that's really impressed me maybe in in the recent meta is uh, Veil of Summer. Because uh, mm-hmm. it's really good against the Grief decks, the Fair decks, and it's also really good against the Storm decks. Even against High Tide, because I played against Reed Duke uh, in the prelim last week. And he, uh, he he kind of started going off, and I ca- cast Veil of Summer, and then they can't actually win. Which is kind of interesting. So if you... If you that. Yeah, they can't target you, so... Hmm. So it's, okay. so it can get. I mean, it's not as good as Pyroblast, but, but it's pretty good. Like especially if, if they if they cast a bunch of spells and then Mind Desire, if you can just cast um, Whale of Summer, it can get pretty awkward for them. I think. Uh, yeah, the Veil has been very impressive, and I think it's it like for me. Unfortunately, it's splash damage. Um, the the veils have been showing up in higher numbers, just in other people's sideboards. So yeah. I'm seeing a lot more veils, even though I'm not playing the storm deck. Uh, but it definitely is a, a good spot for people to be in right now. Yeah, I think it's um, yeah, it's it's interesting. That card kind of disappeared for it was so so uh, it was played a lot, and then like a couple of years it was. Not, but I guess the color black in Magic was just not much played at all outside of reanimator i think mm-hmm. it's really it's really good that fair decks have started playing uh, black magic cards again i think that's uh, uh, that's good but now they will be all be punished when from whale of summer i'm sure because it's such a beating imagine going grief against an opponent cast whale that must feel so bad Happened to me today. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. Super cool. Um, yeah, because I, I had a I had a line where I wanted to go, uh, you know, grief, and I was like, okay, cool, and I did veil. I was like, oh, oh, I'm like, well, I don't want to, I don't want to reanimate now. <laughs> no. Uh, and, then, <laughs> uh-huh. and then they untapped and killed me. I was like, okay, well, that's cool. That's, yeah. <laughs> that's my fault. Um, but another interesting yeah. card that I think probably might even have more impact for Storm is this new spoiler that uh, came out today, which or maybe it was yesterday, but it's like a, a four-mana tutor that um, if you sacrifice an enchantment or artifact, you can cast the thing you find if it, if it costs less than four mana, I think. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah, um, so this is a new card from Wilds of Eldraine. It is at Beseech the Mirror. Um, so it is uh, one colorless and triple black uh, for sorcery with bargain. Uh, bargain is one of the new keywords from the set. Um, a bargain is a kicker of sorts. Um, you may sacrifice an artifact, enchantment, or token as you cast the spell. Uh, and the actual effect of the of uh, Beseech is uh, search your library for a card, exile it face down, then shuffle. If this spell was bargained, you may cast the exile card without paying its mana cost if that spell's mana value is four or less, and then put the exile card into your hand if it wasn't cast this way. Um, there, are, I'm still kind of like wrapping my head around it. Um, it's interesting. It's a tutor, but it also casts a spell, so it really is kind of like a almost like a transmute artifact in a in a way. Like, yeah. At, where are you kind of leaning in with the, uh, this card? Well, so I, I mean, uh, I, okay, 
I'm, it's not my idea, but I saw Jax, you know, Jax yeah. on, yeah. on Twitter. They, they, they posted uh, some lines that you could do. Um, storm lines. And I'm, I'm actually, I love Storm because I played that deck for like six years, almost exclusively. So I, I love the deck. Uh, I, I, I always hope that it gets better because it's been in a pretty bad state, I think, for... Because it's problematic because Storm is kind of a deck where you lo- you lose to the other combo decks. Like you lose to Reanimator, you lose to like the Echo, the Eight Cost, and those type of decks. Uh, and if if the fair decks wants to beat you, they can also beat you. That's that's how I what I found when I when I played it. So it's sort of a uh, it, it just felt pretty in a bad shape. Um, but I'm hoping that this this actually could improve things because what Jax showed showed me some lines that are like requires quite a little mana because if you have I have to remember if you have like two dark rituals so if you have any two rituals I think so if 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 you can make four mana and a zero mana artifact then you you might need five mana actually but say, say that you have five mana and this. Then you can find like a green Yogmosville mm-hmm. that has to spend. So you can cast that and then you can get back your gra- or cast your graveyard again and find tendrils and cast tendrils. So it's sort of, I think it requires less resources than um, mm-hmm. Past in Flames. So, so I think that could be really interesting. Because um, I guess that's, if, if you, you remember Underworld Breach when, when that came out, People thought that would also be really bad, and then you realize that actually by having so few resources, it becomes just totally busted. Not only that you can win faster, but also also that you didn't have to discard mm-hmm. your your hand, so so you can you know play force of will. Maybe you can play force of will in that in that storm deck because you don't need to be hellbent when you go off. So maybe it can become more like a underworld breach kind of deck. Yeah, yeah and like the being able to actually skirt the mana requirement is. It's really interesting too, because you know a lot of I'll, I guess I'll post this link in or this tweet that Jax had in on the show notes as well, so people could check this out. Uh, but you know, being able to go from Beseech into uh, Guy as well, which you know is essentially that's to spend uh, Moth will. Uh, it normally is green mana. It normally has to spend. Don't have to worry about that if you're casting it off of. Uh, you know the Beseech, which is really cool. But even like just getting something yeah. like uh, Empty the Warrens is is a huge game for not having to uh, yeah you know worry about actually having red mana in your pool. You don't have to worry about some kind of weird uh, metamorphose bit or anything like that. You can just cast these spells. So I, there definitely is a lot of potential here uh, for for this card. Yeah, I think. I think even the empty line is requires even less mana, right? Because there you just need what you need like an artifact land, a lotus petal, mm-hmm. and a dark ritual, which is nothing. And then you get like I don't know, maybe you get eight or ten goblins. But I mean, you could easily get that in on yeah. turn one, I think. Yeah, and the, the you know another line if you do it with a, another zero mana artifact instead of the land, right? So you get add to the storm count a little bit, but you don't need to, right? Like if you're playing with the Vault of Whispers, it definitely yeah. opens up the lines a bit. Uh, yeah, the other thing is that if you if you play discard as your protection, then 
yes, costing less mana is so important, right? Because then you can you can sneak in a duress mm-hmm. there as well. Add your storm. Add your storm. Like that was always hard to do when you wanted Adnasim because Adnasim required seven mana. Like Infernal Tutor for for Adnasim, that that was a seven mana line. And then if you wanted a duress as well, that was really hard to have the card to do that on turn one. Um, but here it's going to be a lot easier because if you if you only require five mana to get duress and empty the warrens. For like twelve goblins, I think that's um, that's gonna happen a lot. What do you think about the direction? It, it just seems like you know now that we're getting uh, Mind's Desire, it looks like this is gonna be another very potent uh, combo spell. It, it feels like we're kind of pushing Legacy more towards this kind of combo centric time. Yeah. Like I think it's good that Storm gets some love from Wizard of the Coast because that archetype has not got well. They did get Echo mm-hmm. Veons, but unfortunately that that's like the the good Echo decks. I think they are not Storm decks. Mm-hmm. It's, well, I'm not sure if they're good either. <laughs> but the the ones that I really hate playing against is these like mm-hmm. Hullbreacher decks. But I think it's like I think. The, ar- the archetype almost disappeared, so, so I think it's really good that they get some some new cards. But it's always dangerous if if it becomes too fast. I think. Uh, but I guess you can always play mindbreak trap if that happens. But but sort of because uh, uh, I think even now, like since initiative or especially during initiative, I think legacy was a little bit mm-hmm. too fast, and I think ancient tomb is. Is a, like when people started learning that how good Ancient Tomb really is. Uh, Legacy has got mm-hmm. so fast because uh, the game, like the and even Spearlands is is you know I'm guilty myself for doing the same. Like uh, as I said, when you play Spearlands, you don't care about what your opponent does for the first three turns because you just want to execute your own thing, and that's fine. That's really powerful, but. But it also means that the die roll becomes really important. Because when I play against the other Ancient Tomb decks, I feel like if I win the die roll, I can almost not lose. Uh, and if I lose the die roll, I can almost not win. So it's sort of... Uh, it's That's, I think, is a bad... And that will be the same with... Uh, with the, if the combo decks get a, a lot more popular, it will be very similar. Like Because being on the draw against... Storm is a lot harder than being on the play when you play Spear Spearland. Um, yeah, I, mean, I think just uh, being able to sneak a a sphere of resistance underneath the duress, I think, is huge. And if they always have the duress to begin the game, it's like you having two spheres in your opening hands is you know very difficult. So, and also Whale of Summer, right? So, so if you if 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 my plan is going to be Whale of Summer and Spear. Then yes, being on the play is so important because uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, either I'm gonna have the spear in turn one, or or I'm gonna be able mm. to protect it. And the storm deck can cannot win. Like they can if if they cast the rest and I cast whale, it's not like they can do anything, right? They can like it's not like they can try to combo off. I guess they could make a bunch of goblins, but that's yeah. I guess they could do that, but it's sort of. Uh, it's not a good strategy against lands in general. No, I I had a game versus storm. Uh, I think it was 
in the past two weeks. I've been playing a lot of Moto, probably too much Moto, so I've been <laughs> a little little off about when when, I, when the games are happening. But I, I played a game where I went turn one Chalice on one, turn two Trinisphere, turn three Chalice on two, and my opponent, play, my Storm opponent, played like three more turns. Like, what's happening over there? Like, how does this game end for you? <laughs> that, that, so <laughs> it's uh. <laughs> it, it is very, very uh, interesting how, like, you know, we're, we're giving a lot to the Storm decks, but I feel like they're still kind of in check. Like, I, um, you know, playing against the Mississippi River deck, yeah. playing against High Tide, you know, they get tongue-tied pretty quickly. I mean, like, you know, you, you get rid of those uh, Tibble's Trickeries or, uh, you know, the High Tides cost two mana instead of one, and suddenly they're just like, oh, I can't really do this. Um, I, I, I think it's so hard to give... It, I think it's really easy to give them something because it's so easy, if you really want to, to take take that away in, in terms of like sideboarding and deck preparation. Yeah, I agree. And also, like, as I said, like the fair decks, if they want to beat Storm, like, if you have... if Like, my nightmare when I played Storm was a deck that had, uh, you know, per- permanent-based hate and counterspells. Mm-hmm. Like it was just imp- felt like um, um, counterbalance that was played then mm. Mir- miracles. It was just like ah, oh. it's like, because it's so awkward because you you need uh, what do you side out then? So you need to like you don't you can't side out your discard spell to bring in like abrupt decay. You can you need to bring in abrupt decay, mm-hmm. but you cannot side out your discard spells because you need them as well. So you need to side out like ponders or or dark rituals or like mm-hmm. you don't want to side out your combo pieces because then you know instead of going from a turn three deck you become a turn seven deck and then it's just more likely they have the interactions so mm-hmm. so it's just becomes so difficult when you have to fight many angles and I think in today's leg like the decks even the non non blue decks they're so fast. Like Moonstomp, for example, it's, they have such a fast clock, and then a chalice will be enough because you don't have enough time to find your your few answers to it. I think so. Mm. Uh, I think it's a good day. They get some love for sure. I just hope they don't become like turn zero, like Belcher. Yeah. I guess that 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 would be unfortunate. I think because you don't want the format also to be that you have to play Force of Will because. Yeah. Then my deck is not good anymore. <laughs> yeah, I, I think the we're seeing this in other formats too. I, I think in Legacy it's it's fine, but like the the Oops All Spells deck, I think in Legacy is a deck that I think is actually very good that doesn't see yeah. a lot of play as much as, as I think it probably deserves. But uh, it is there. It is very close to having like one more card to be like, oh, this deck's actually insane. Now you should just play this deck. Um, and I, I don't think it's going to be this uh, beseech the beseech the mirror or anything like that. But I, I, it's going to be some random cards. I'm like, I don't understand how this deck would be. Oh, it's good here. It's really good here. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think if, if your deck wins on turn one, it has to use the graveyard. Yeah. That has to be kind of the rule because then, you, like, you need to lose the surgical extraction then, because then everyone can play sur- like. Unless they they print like another mind break trap that's a bit better or or 
uh, some sort of like I don't know mental misstep or something that ev everyone can play, then I don't think your deck should win more than 15% on turn one, because yeah, like when Gu yeah. Guaruda, if you remember that deck, I think it won a bit too often on turn one for for being something that just didn't care about surgical or leyland on the void. So it's sort of a, at least that's kind of my philosophy as a non-blue uh, player. That it's fine. That, like if you have a good hand, yes, sure, you can win on turn one. But but um, if you consistently want to win on turn one, you need to use the graveyard. I think that's a perfectly fair take. Yeah. I think if one thing that or one kind of section that I would like to maybe I don't know if this, that will be the end, but but it's sort of. At least I would like to talk about this because it's called the Dark Depths podcast, and I feel like uh, I didn't speak about Dark Depths at all, even though I'm, you know, talking about lands or spear lands. So, as what I write in my primer, I just want to give some love to Dark Depths. So what I write in my primer is uh, like Plan A. So I, I I actually say if you play spear lands, there are four plans. You can do the Prison Agro or the Tempo. Ursa Saga, Spear of Resistance, uh, Construct Plan. That's your plan A. Uh, then you have Merit Lage, that's your plan B. And then you have, uh, like, Thespian Stage can copy Ursa Saga. It's complicated, but you can copy Ursa Saga, and then when Thespian Stage gets two counters or more, you can copy another land and still get to make Constructs. So this is a super slow grindy grindy way that I only do against control. That's the only archetype that, that I execute that plan against. And then you can of course do like super heavy mana denial. So those are the four strategies uh, and I call them like plan A, B, C and D. And just to be clear, like plan A is maybe I only do it in like 50 to 60% of the game. So it's sort of mm -hmm. it's half the games roughly. My plan B, which is Merit Lage, is maybe 40% of the game. So, so the, the reason, and I also write that I think Merit Lage is the best plan B that has ever existed in, in Magic. And I think the reason it's so good is because it's mm -hmm. almost as good as your plan A. And sometimes it's even better. So, so it's sort of, uh, it's it's your plan B. And the reason it's, it's the plan B is because what, what I do, it's again, like people have to focus, like when, when you play against lands, you need to choose what car, like what hands do you keep or whatever? So usually you want to have a lot of lands because you're afraid that uh, I will wasteland you, and then maybe now you know that my plan A is is constructs. So you want some some answer to Ursa Saga or whatever, some dress down or maybe meltdown. But then I can just you know just create the 2020 and I just give you one turn. I kill you in one turn. So it's a, it's actually a combo finish, right? So, so it's sort of. And it's so so easy to forget about that that angle completely because also what what I really like about Spearlands is that it's so mm -hmm. seamless to change plans. Like I can play the first three turns, pretending that I'm trying, and I do this a lot against Delver because actually against Delver the constructs are not that good. I think it's actually the the matchup where they're weakest because they don't have reach. So I can easily fall behind. Like we've all been there. Like maybe they countered my exploration or maybe they wastelanded my saga so they did something that wasn't according to plan and then all of a sudden they are ahead on the board like because they play all these one drops so it's obvious that my construct will not be able to 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 raise them 
and then it's just so so nice because Ursa Saga wants to get three counters. One, I can uh, crop rotate it away for a land, and I also get to search. I can also find the expedition map uh, to find like so. I can crop it away for say Thespian Station, then I can find expedition map and find Dark Depths. So it's almost seamless. It's it might like a lot of the time I'm just pretending maybe to to play one like the Prison Agro, but I'm actually not. I'm just waiting to uh, to find expedition maps so I can create merit ledge. So it's sort of it's such a good plan B because it kills fast. It gives a very short window. It's different enough from my plan A. I mean, of course, Swords of Plowshares answers it, but it's sort of and wasteland, but it's still different en enough it's not grindy it's not it's it's not aggro at all it's just like okay one turn have the answer or you die but it's they still kind of complement each other because and they also very seamless to switch between one and the other so i'm for you know falling in love with dark depths over and over again <laughs> every time that i play um, and i just get surprised still today i get surprised of how effective Merit Lage is uh, when you play lands because most opponents just don't mm -hmm. uh, have the answer in time. Like they focus on the wrong things. They they were afraid of a wasteland or whatever, and then whoops, he he, he made a twenty twenty on turn three or um, yeah, even like the really cool the like lines it. where I'm gonna you know I've got three mana I'm gonna cast my Teferi um, so I can bounce your construct and. <laughs> And you just go, oh, well, in response, I'm going to crop rotation this um, saga for my my depth, and you already have the stage, and your opponent's just like, oh, I'm going to die now. That's unfortunate. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. It, it, the fact is, yeah. like, uh, the Thespian stage ends up just being such a insanely powerful card in this deck. Uh, I think being able to, uh, yeah, I mean, copy something, you can copy whatever you want, I guess, right? But, like, uh, copying Dark Depth, obviously great. Uh, but even copying, like, just made of it, getting, you know, causing a little bit more protection there, um, yeah. you know, cop, like you said, copying the Saga, um, copying Wasteland, even, uh, in certain spots, like, that is just game-breaking. Yeah, copying Tabernacle, mm -hmm. I've done that a lot, like, people kind of, uh, uh, th they go all in and try to Wasteland my Tabernacle end of turn, and I crop rotate for a Thespian stage copying, and then, like... Yeah, the entire board gets wiped the turn after. So it's sort of, uh, yeah, it have <laughs> it's such a good card, I think. But it's sort of, I think it's really cool that you have these strategies that are different enough, um, but at the same time, it's just so natural to, um, like the deck is just built around lands, right? And tutors for lands. So it's sort of, it's so, so... Um, yeah, it's like a perfect. Yeah, I've mix. definitely uh, submerged my my number of uh, construct tokens and not been happy about it, and I've definitely submerged my number of merit lages and also not been <laughs> yeah. happy about it. So it, it's uh, it's very good to to have that kind of that kind of flexibility in the in the main deck. And that must be exactly the same when you play green white depths. I can mm -hmm. imagine. I mean, I never played a deck, even though it seems like I would enjoy it i think i would enjoy it if if i if i tried it i think i played one league with it but that's uh it must be the same thing that like i imagine that you just play out your creatures and then wait for for people to exhaust their removal and then you just kill them 
Yeah, I I would agree. It, it's very flexible. Um, a lot of times, I I think a big thing is a lot of times people on the other side kind kind of like you said think they know what your plan is, and then they do like they do whatever, and you're like, okay, well if that's what you're gonna do, then this just isn't my plan. And like a yeah. lot of times, I have people just being like. Okay, I can't do this, or I'm going to die to Mary Lage. I can't do this, or I'm going to die to Mary Lage. I can't do this, or I'm going to die to Mary Lage. And I'm just like, attack you for a 26 with two knights. Yeah. I mean, it's exactly the same as the... Con- I mean, it it is the same philosophy, I think, that you have board pr- pre- pressure and also combo finish. It's sort of a... Yeah, I can I see that that works back full really circle well. To just like the, the, the lines that you get pushed into because you're being bullied by an 8-8 knight... Uh, then pushing yeah. you into this point where it's like, well, I can't deal with merit leads right now. That's not the concern. It's like, no, that is the concern. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's funny because a lot of the time, like, I also attack people mm. down to like four with the constructs, and then they tap out, and I <laughs> I crop rotate for dark depths and win. So, so I kill them. <laughs> but it's sort of like, okay. <laughs> I understand that they had to tap out because they had to do something about the constructs or they would have died from them as well. So it's sort of... Uh... And something that's really interesting is what I found during... Initi- like when Initiative was at its peak, like January this year, um, I I actually started going up on Dark Depths, which, which is unintuitive, right? You would think that a deck that has so much removal would just mm-hmm. crush uh, Merit Lage. But it's actually turned out that that was how I won. Like, I know, I saw, like, Ursa Saga was not powerful enough to beat Initiative. Like, they would just, they would put two big creatures too fast onto the board. So, um, so what I found is that just, the games I won, I just recurred Merit Lage. So I went up to play, like, three or four Yavimaya, uh, Mana Bond, uh, and just going like, okay, maybe the first Merit Lage won't stick, but the third one might. And I get 20 life every 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 turn, that, so I could kind of win the race that way. Like they, Yes, they had a bunch of creatures, and they had the emblem, uh, but I could just make a Merit Lage every turn, and eventually I would actually win. And then post-sideboard, I went uh, for Steely Resolve, which was extremely good against that time, because that time... They were so inbred as well, so they didn't play Thalia and stuff like that. They just played like basically board control. They just wanted to fight against against the token and I, or the emblem, and I didn't care about that at all. I just said, "Okay, steal a resolve. You're not going to be able to uh, target my." Just blanked all the removal basically. Uh, and since they didn't play Mother Runes, they could yeah they could block Merit Ledge a few turns, but that I mean eventually it would it would win. So actually, that's how I kind of that was my tech for for beating the initiative decks, which was kind of cool. Then the plan B became plan A, because my plan A was actually not strong enough in that meta. So it's sort of a, this is this is why I say it's the best plan B that ever existed, because it's like almost as good as your plan A, or maybe even as good, sometimes even better. So it's sort of, a, uh, that card has a long life, I'm, I'm sure. And we might, we could hope that it gets unbanned in modern, and maybe I could start playing modern. But oh, I, I would love it if it got unbanned in modern. I, I've had people tell me like they don't think it would be good, 
which is fine. It might not be good. I don't know. I, I'm pretty confident I would be able to win with it. Um, and I, I would love that opportunity. But I thought every time they had like an unbanned modern tournament, Dark Tips won. But maybe that was just me being biased in what I read. It's not every time, but like it always does well. Like yeah. you're, there's always multiple copies in the top eight, and sometimes it's great, like green black depths, and then sometimes it's got like Hogak mixed in or yeah. whatever. But yeah, I mean, I think Eldrazi. I've seen when I've seen. I think Miracles won at least one that I seen. Okay. But like, I think Depths is consistently like the best performer. Hmm. I don't think people pay attention to it because it's just like it's it's almost so obvious that I think people's like they get drawn to like the cooler like oh I didn't consider this or like oh this is neat versus but like I don't know you just get to play basically the legacy deck in modern so it's yeah. hard for that not to be good yeah that I can imagine <laughs> yeah all right cool um I mean it's almost eleven here so I think. Pretty soon, I would have to wrap up. I don't know if yeah. you. Uh... <laughs> yeah, we need to. We need to go. We're we're running like an hour twenty at this point. But uh, you mentioned before you're gonna you're gonna lose a bunch coming in. Um, is there anything else that I should uh, try to keep an open mind about if I'm trying to pick up uh, Sierra Lands for the first time? Let me think. So I think uh, yes. I think my biggest advice, the thing that I missed the most when I learned deck, is that. Uh, life from the loam is a lot worse than you think. Mm. Like, and and <laughs> what I mean, of course, the card is is like, you know, it's broken. I mean, when when it's good, it's broken, mm-hmm. but when it's not good, it's really bad. Like, uh, for example, if 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 it was always like this, like the mana denial aspect of lands was, you execute that way less than you would think. And I see this is the biggest mistake that I see new players do is like maybe you played Delver and you lost to lands where they just wastelanded you had tabernacle they had everything um, and then you start playing lands and you think that that's what you should do and that's what ho- every game is going to be when in, in reality it's maybe 10% of the games where that actually happens and then so so for example if you don't have exploration then don't wasteland because wastelanding also put you a land back mm-hmm. right so wasteland also what i see because there are a lot of new lands players uh, in the leagues now and what i see when them play when they play against me they overestimate loam i mean yes loam is the most important card in the mirror but also if you don't have exploration then don't dredge loam because you're not it's not enough like, like you're not getting ahead mm-hmm. uh, yes it, it's it's tempo again basically you you get three cards when you cast it, but if you if you can't play them out, doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. In a sense, like if I can make land drops, doesn't matter if you get three lands. Um, and it, this is, I think, the hardest part because the card is so good and the strategy of mana denial is so strong when it works that you don't want to miss out uh, by not trying to do it when you could. But at the same time. If you just think that okay, loam loam is how dredging loam is how I win every game. That's not how it is. That's maybe how you win ten percent of the games. Uh, a lot of the time, I think you should re- read my my primer and, and re- learn about the different ways to win, and then you should keep starting hands that have one of those plans. 
and it's pretty obvious to like if you have Ursa Saga and Mox Diamond, you know you're going to be the prison aggro. If you have uh, Thespian Stage and Dark Depths, you know you're going to be the combo. Uh, if you have Wasteland Exploration, Life from the Loam, you know you're going to be Mana Denial. So it's sort of you know, but if you don't have it's actually the lands that di- dictates what you can do. And if you don't have any, if you don't have Thespian Stage, Ursa Saga, or Wasteland, then I think you should Mulligan, unless you have Corporation, I guess, uh, because your hand has no plan. Like I see a lot of people keeping hands that have like three lands, Expiration, uh, Life from the Loam. That's too slow, I think, because yeah, un- unless you're lucky and Loam finds something on the first dredge then you could easily fall away too too far behind. Uh, I guess that that's the hardest part to learn is, is like when, when loam is good and when it's not good. Um, another just tip is to mulligan. Remember to mulligan because like your best five card hand is a lot better than an average seven. That's something to think about. Like even I've I've been a lot of games with four card hands. Like like you don't need a lot actually. Like think of a hand that has two lands, mox or maybe yeah two la- or three lands, mox diamond and spear of resistance. That's that's like a nut hand I think. Yeah. Uh, it will, you will have two five fives by turn three. It's a five card hand, um, and it's not that hard to find. So so. Um, and and again, if if you have life from the loam, you you can easily get card adventures back. So don't be afraid to to move. Well, thank you for the tips. Those were those are definitely a good place to start for for anyone jumping into uh, Sphere Lands for the first time. Uh, as a reminder, the uh, link uh, is going to be in the show notes, but the deck uh, the article is on pendrelvale.com. So if you want to check out uh, the article, uh, please do obviously. Uh, then uh, that is where you can find it. And thank you so much for coming on. I, it's, just, it's really great to be able to pick your brain and think about uh, a deck that I, I personally don't play very often. And I, I know Mapson is always always on the the the, 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 the spheres um, <laughs> on the uh, outer edge of uh, what's going on in the lands archetype. So it, it's really cool to be able to delve into that a little deeper here. Yeah, thank you. Always happy to be on. I think. Uh, yeah, I love your podcast, and uh, yeah, always happy that that you want to have me on. Yeah, appreciate that, and I'm gonna echo the sentiment. Also, very glad that you uh, were able to join us. Um, plus, I like I like how uh, it happened. So, a little behind the scenes for the listeners at home. I you know a couple of weeks ago, I was like, oh, like it'd be really cool to talk to Ali again, and then like next thing I know, you're in my message, just like I'll come back on. And it's like. Perfect. Let's let's set yeah. some time up. So, you know, I I love when everyone kind of is on the same page from uh, from the start. Yeah, I mean, you saying that actually made me finish the primer, right? Because I had, maybe I had written like twenty percent, and then I said, "Yeah, it would be cool to talk to Ali again." And then I said, "Okay, now I have to finish it so I can get on." <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's. Oh, well, thank you once again. We should get out of here. Um, maps and where can people find you? Uh, people can find me on Twitter at Expedition Map and also on Blue Sky, although I don't think Twitter is dying anymore, so I don't know. Uh, <laughs> Ali, where can people find you? Uh, they can find me on the Lands Discord or on Twitter as well. So it's Ali underscore on underscore MTGO. It's 
that's my handle. Awesome. And if you're interested in finding me, I am at Bad Luck Bandit on Twitter. Interested in finding the show? We're at Depth underscore Podcast on Twitter. And of course, uh, we're on Patreon. We're on YouTube. We've got a bunch of different links there, all in our link tree. So definitely check that out as well. And I guess you know, thank you to all of our patrons who continue to support us week in and week out. Uh, we hope you have that perfect Earth of Saga into Mox Diamond into Sphere of Resistance Hand and all your openers. Uh, I guess I'll see you next week. See you next week. Given my attempts to green, the scene sees reclaim. Untapped sack of flags, don't go seek the planes. Then tutor up the stage to pull out your playbill. Doctor's podcast starring Billy Mitchell and Michael Mapson on the microphone. Dripping in Mox Diamonds, the collector of curtains up on act one of this magic show. Setting the forest so dense it looks decomposed. With red every nights crush against death's shadow. On the legendary lake covered in ice and snow. Underneath the surface looks a lonely evil. An avatar so dark it could cause a People. The night lunges forward, going for the kill. But death shadow's too tricky, it just won't sit still. It's stuff in denial, compile a stack so thick. The bazooka bug emerges with Gurmax angling. The night takes a swing at the zombie fishes, but falls submerged for such a distance. Forsaken in the haze of the street rape fringes. Who wanna suffer out? They don't sneak forgiveness. The final breath draws a deafening silence. A sound so sinister, no one could describe it. It's like the subtle cracking of a turtle shell, or the surgical extraction of emerging hell. The shards of ice feel a force of vigor. The looming fear releases, growing bigger and bigger until a demon's fingers linger toward the shadow of death. An all-consuming hush. The land goes swept, the night washes up, frozen on the ice. Dried arbors thaw her out in the green sun's light. An expedition map suddenly unfurls, revealing Merit Lage has rearranged the world. 